Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman, and that is a wrap on week three. Another Monday night doubleheader gets us through the week. I'm not going to be sad when it's just one game on Monday nights. I love football more than most people, but but this is getting ridiculous. Busy Monday night. Plenty of news in the NFL. We'll rehash some storylines from Sunday as well. But let's get into these Monday night games. Two of them back-to-back, and we'll start it off down in Tampa as the Philadelphia Eagles roll to a 3-0 start, 25-11 over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I know this is the NFL any given Sunday, any given Monday, but man, if the Philadelphia Eagles just don't start to resemble an SEC team in college football, and I don't just say that because their defense is littered with Georgia players and I mean, they got SEC guys all over the place. Devontae Smith is a Bama guy. A.J. Brown went to Ole Miss. It reminds me of watching an SEC Blue Blood play when they get into these games. They're loaded on both lines. Best offensive line in football paves the way for 200 more rushing yards. It's the 11th time they've done that in the last year and a half, most in the league. Defensive line, again, absolutely stocked with mostly Georgia players, it seems like. They terrorize Tampa Bay quarterback Baker Mayfield. They record a safety in this game. If you're a college football fan, this is what we call a crock potting. And what is that? What does that mean if you're not familiar? What do you do with a crock pot? Throw a hunk of meat in there, you set the temperature on high for four hours and you leave it. And what happens? You can pull that thing apart with a fork four hours later. That's what it's like watching the Philadelphia Eagles play football. This thing doesn't start off smoothly. Eagles and Buccaneers trade blows for most of the first half for, for the, for the slightest of moments. It looked like Tampa Bay had a chance to make this a game. Mike Evans bobbles a would be touchdown pass that could have given the the Buccaneers an early lead in this game. But again, the the crockpot method, as this thing goes, the Eagles just exerted their dominance. DeAndre Swift has another breakout performance. He rushes for 130 yards in this game. Jalen Hurts, not his best night throwing the ball, and he still finishes with 277 yards and a touchdown. Touchdown to Olamide Zacchaeus, who... Jalen Hurts had eight seconds to throw from the pocket. That was a theme. If the Eagles weren't plowing over the Buccaneers defense in the run game, Jalen Hurts was just hanging in the pocket eight, nine, 10 seconds, waiting for somebody to break open. It's not something that's supposed to happen in the NFL. We talk about your internal play play clock being three, because that's typically how much time you have to throw before somebody decks you. That just wasn't the case 
for the Philadelphia Eagles. They did whatever they wanted to. And I think that's the scary thing. It reminds me again of a dominant college football program that if you're the Eagles, you finish this game, you're three and oh, you win by 14 points and it wasn't that close. And you say, we could play better. We weren't hitting on all cylinders. We left some stuff out there. They left a couple touchdown passes out there. They tried to get tricky with a, a fake tush push pass. Jalen hurts trips over himself and it, it doesn't happen, but that's, that's the, whatever you want to call it, whether you want to call it not clicking, whether you want to call it rust, it doesn't matter. Not playing your a game has been a theme for this team for three weeks and they are three, and zero, and they, they beat the Buccaneers up from start to finish. Tampa Bay, like I said, I think early they're going to feel like there were some missed opportunities. I mentioned the bobble touchdown by Mike Evans. Shad White also had a very costly fumble at the end of the first half. Buccaneers piss, pick off Jalen Hurts and have a chance to maybe get some points at the end of the half. Running back Rashad White fumbles it right back. The Eagles go get a field goal and they've got a 10-point lead. And once you've got a multiple possession lead, the Eagles just teed off. I mentioned the safety it wasn't a gaudy night from a pass rush perspective. They sacked Baker Mayfield twice, but the Buccaneers just had no time to do anything. Baker was flustered all the time. Any third down conversion he picked up was typically running for his life, doing it. The bucks ran for 41 yards on the night. Another big night from Jalen Carter. I mentioned the Rashad white fumble. Jalen Carter forced that stuff, stuff, the run game. Absolutely looks like the guy we thought he was looks like the guy where we said, I don't understand how the Eagles got this guy all the way at nine. Two of the last unbeaten teams in the league heading into this game. There were four left heading into Monday night. It's now down to three, the dolphins, the 49ers, the Eagles, the Buccaneers were technically unbeaten, but I think you saw that there's levels to this thing. I don't think anybody truly, truly expected Tampa Bay to win this game. And the Eagles really flex, flex their muscles, muscles to show why AJ Brown finishes with, with the quiet, quietest nine catches for 130 yards. You'll ever remember 11 points for the Buccaneers and the Buccaneers lone touchdown comes midway through the fourth quarter when it's 25 to three. Oh, and what did the Eagles do after that? Probably the most impressive thing they did all night. The Eagles got the ball with nine and a half minutes to play in this game and they just didn't give it back. They march all the way down the length of the field, 15 plays, nine and a half minutes, just bleed that clock out. They can run the ball. They can protect their quarterback. Their quarterback can hit throws when he needs to. The defense is suffocating. Jake Elliott hits a long field goal for good measure. This team has it all. And they didn't even play that well. It reminds me of watching a Georgia or an Alabama. We'll see if they can take it to another level. Cause if they can, it's absolutely is looking like a team that has another deep playoff run in them. We'll see where it goes from here. A much less memorable game in terms of entertainment up in Cincinnati. The Bengals defeat the LA Rams 19 to 16. Just do enough, right? Cincinnati. That's, that's what desperation looks like in a good way. We talk so much about how bad it is to start 0-3, how hard it is to recover from. Does not matter what it looks like as long as you don't do it and the Bengals get the much-needed win. There's a lot of speculation about whether Joe Burrow could play in this game and what he was going to look like. He gutted through it. 
to his credit, he clearly was not a hundred percent fighting through that calf injury. Although Bengals head coach, Zach Taylor, what are we doing? You might not know that Joe Burrow was troubled by his calf injury based on his 49 attempts on the night, 31 in the first half. Even if the running game's not clicking all that well, I just, I don't know about that, but, but Joe Burrow guts through it and incredibly forgettable performance by Joe Burrow standards throws for just over five yards per attempt, 259 yards has an interception. Bengals only got into the end zone one time in this game and it was Joe Mixon, but nobody's going to care because you avoid the dreaded zero and three. You've got time to recover. Now Joe Burrow said on the broadcast after the game, didn't feel like he re re aggravated the calf. So the hope here is that you can just continue to recover, recuperate, and it might not be anytime soon. It might not be all season, but the closer Joe Burrow can get to full strength, the more opportunity you have. He did reconnect with Jamar chase, Jamar chase on the side of a milk carton for the first two weeks of the season. He blows up for 12 catches and 140 yards. That was basically the Bengals offenses pepper Jamar chase with targets and let Joe Mixon do the rest where he can Joe Mixon with a 14 yard touchdown run. Nothing. Anybody's going to remember good enough to get the job done defensively. Cincinnati showed us exactly how bad things can get for the LA Rams when they're compromised on the offensive line, LA, not a, not a shootout, not a, again, not a pretty game offensively for anybody, but it looked like Matthew Stafford and the Rams were going to continue to play the spoiler 300 yard passing games through the first two weeks of the season, Puka Nakua and Tutu Atwell showing up and showing out happened again here. Tutu Atwell has a touchdown. Puka Nakua has another 72 yards. But it all fell apart in the second half. Rams offensive line gets compromised. Joe Noteboom, the right guard, exits with an injury and returns. That's not as big of a deal as left tackle Alaric Jackson getting hurt. He did not return. And his replacement, absolutely overwhelmed by guys like Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard. The Bengals absolutely teed off on Matthew Stafford for six sacks. The crazy thing is it, it all felt like it happened at once. Uh, the Rams were moving the ball. Well, scoring points, keeping pace in this game. Boom. Offensive line injuries happen. Stafford Stafford is sacked six times, throws a couple of interceptions, one of which in crunch time when the Rams were really trying to rally back in this thing, they did have the one last gas touchdown drive toward the end. But by the time they get in the end zone, there's a minute left in regulation. Bengals recover the onside kick and it's over. In, in the meat of the second half, when it was still in doubt, thanks to these offensive line injuries, the Rams have a possession that moves negative two yards, negative 16 yards, five yards. And by that point, the Bengals are up 19 to nine. And we're basically just waiting to see what the final score is. I don't want to panic. I don't know the severity of these injuries as of yet, but it sure does make you think about last season. It's not that the Rams lost all of their talent. It's that their offensive line was decimated. Stafford had no time to throw Stafford got hurt because of the amount of sacks he was taking. That's what the late third and fourth quarter of this game looked like. It's a scary, scary reminder of how badly things can go off the rails for LA. If their offensive line isn't up to snuff. So we'll keep an eye, eye on that. Not terribly surprising that the Rams lose this game, especially with burrow starting but hopefully we are not in for a repeat of last year 
where the offensive line just doesn't give this team a chance. The story here, obviously the Bengals getting off the losing streak at home, keeping their, I, I guess we'll say season alive. I don't think I would have written off the Bengals at 0 and three, but we talk so much about how hard that is to overcome. It is no longer their problem to worry about. They take a trip to see a, a ailing Tennessee Titans team next week. And all of a sudden, if they keep this up, they could be back at 500 in the blink of an eye. So all that matters for the Bengals wasn't pretty, wasn't memorable. It was a win and you'll take it every time. Let's rewind it back to Sunday night. It's damn near impossible to hit on every single thing that happens on an NFL Sunday. And if you listen to the Monday morning show, the main thing coming out of the Raiders loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers in Vegas on Sunday was Josh McDaniels strange fourth down decision-making. Do you kick the field goal? Do you go for the touchdown? But what gets lost is what happens after. And I want to make sure we spend some time on it. Some interesting comments coming from Devonte Adams after this game, the all pro receiver traded from green Bay to Vegas last year made a healthy sum of money with an extension, but hasn't gone the way that he would prefer from a wins and losses standpoint. I'm not trying to sow discord here. That's not my goal. I'm not trying to start rumors with the Raiders organization, but it's not every day you hear a player sound this frustrated in the wake of a week three loss. Remember the Raiders win their season opener. So even with the loss to Pittsburgh, they're just sitting at one and two. Devonte Adams has a really fantastic night, 13 catches for 172 and two touchdowns. So with all of that in mind, knowing that you're only a game under 500 and you just had a wonderful performance, it's these comments get my radar up. I guess that's all I'm trying to say. Here's a quote from Devonte Adams. It's only week three, but I don't got time to wait around. It's not my mentality to sit here and try to take all season and figure it out. You use these early games like this to establish the identity and we are not doing things the right way to establish a winning culture early in the season. So we've got to do something to turn that around. Hmm. Not surprising coming from a guy who was in green Bay with Aaron Rodgers, used to having an MVP quarterback used to winning 12, 13 games a year, used to making deep runs in the playoffs. But like I said a minute ago, it's just, it's awfully early to hear somebody talk like that after three games, two losses. Now I don't have a great feeling about where things are going for the Raiders, but it hasn't happened yet. Typically this is the type of stuff you hear when a team is two, three, four, five games below 500. And I just think it's interesting that we're not here at the end of September yet. We're not even into October. And this is what's coming out of a Raiders loss to Pittsburgh. Don't want to put any words in Devonte Adams mouth, but if you read these comments on social media, you hear the chatter around it. It doesn't sound like a guy who's going to want to hang around. If things really go South for the Raiders. Now, I don't know how feasible a trade would look. I don't know who would, I mean, a lot of people would want Devonte Adams. Let me not say that, but I don't know who would want to take on the contract who would want to pay a price in a trade, who the Raiders would be willing to trade him to, or even if they would be willing to trade him to remember Devonte Adams was kind of a crown jewel for this organization. It was a sign that they were willing to compete in the AFC West, that they would even do this deal in the first place. Not a wonderful look. If you're dealing him less than halfway into his second season with the team, still really interesting, still something that is now firmly 
my antenna are up. I am going to be watching the Raiders. I'm going to be watching Devontae Adams. At the very least, it's entertaining. The trade deadline is still a ways away. It's on Halloween. But if that's how Devontae Adams feels after three games, I don't think you can rule out that possibility. And we know that there's been an uptick in the willingness to trade in the NFL over the last few years. Something to watch on that front. And then the next bit of news coming out of Vegas just kind of puts your radar up even more because Jimmy Garoppolo, Devontae's quarterback, is in concussion protocol for the week. If he's unavailable, you assume it would be veteran Brian Hoyer or rookie Aiden O'Connell taking over for him. They've got the Chargers this week. Not an easy team. I know the Chargers just won their first game, but all of that talent is still there. I have no idea what the line looks like right now, but I have to imagine, especially if Jimmy Garoppolo is out, that the Chargers would be favored in that game. The Raiders have to play the Packers, the Patriots. I see a game against the Lions on the schedule right before the trade deadline. I don't know what's going to happen. Like I said, I hope this doesn't get aggregated into me saying a trade is going to happen, but it's awfully interesting and it's awfully early and it's just something to watch as we see where the Raiders go from here. All right, that covers us for the Raiders and their current quarterback who might be available Sunday. Unfortunately, could also be the case for their former quarterback, Derek Carr. Now the, the QB one in New Orleans, he leaves the Saints lost to Green Bay with a shoulder injury on Sunday. Kind of ever changing updates in this story. It came out very soon after Carr left this game that it's an AC sprain, but the early word is that he's week to week. Then Saints head coach Dennis Allen says they're not ruling him out for Sunday. And then later on the exact same day, more reports coming out that it looks unlikely that Derek Carr will be available week four, which sets up a really interesting matchup. The Saints travel to Tampa to play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it's always funny how this stuff works out. Who would be starting for the Saints if Derek Carr is unavailable other than Jameis Winston? the guy the Buccaneers drafted first overall in 2015, the guy who was supposed to be the new era of the Tampa Bay franchise has already started a game for the saints against the bucks. The bucks got the better of him last year before he got injured, but a rematch could be really interesting. We'll keep an eye on that. Something to watch in the NFC South. The winner of that game would have a big leg up early on in the division standings. One more injury development, Feels like we do this way too much, but back out in the AFC West, brutal blow for the Chargers and Mike Williams just mentioned them. They play the Raiders this weekend. Did not look good for Mike Williams on Sunday when he left the game against the Vikings on a cart. It's just 99% of the time, not good when you leave a game on a cart. And yes, an MRI Monday confirms that he's torn his ACL. His season is over. Absolutely brutal break for a guy that, that has had, issues with injuries, nothing this severe. He hasn't missed more than three or four games since his rookie season, but he has missed 12 games due to injury over the course of his career. This unfortunately is going to be much more substantial than that done for the season. The early word is that he should be available for training camp, but nobody, nobody wants to talk about training camp when you're still just one month into the current season. It sucks for the chargers. It sucks for Mike Williams. We wish him the best puts an even bigger spotlight on the first round pick, Quentin Johnston. Come on down. The TCU receiver was drafted 21st overall. Hasn't been the fastest start to the career. What is it? 
I got it right here. Five catches for 26 yards. Not a big deal when you have Mike Williams and Keenan Allen picking up the slack, but with no more Mike Williams, they need Quentin Johnston to step up and they need him to do it soon. Perfect segue, Dave. It's like you write these scripts ahead of time. Speaking of stepping up, the New York Jets are still clinging to the hope that Zach Wilson can do exactly that. As predicted, starting to get contentious, starting to get a little bit ugly up in New York and New Jersey. Jets fall to the Patriots 15 to 10 on Sunday. Zach Wilson's second straight loss since becoming the starter in place of Aaron Rodgers. And it it's it's looking worse every single week. Every week that the Jets have played, their performance has gotten worse. You know, they they flirted with 300 yards in week 1, the game that Aaron Rodgers got hurt. They go against a, a very good Dallas defense in week 2. 215. Okay, not the end of the world. The Cowboys are great. They're they're rolling like a buzzsaw. New England, 171 yards as a team. Zach Wilson completes 50% of his passes for 144 yards, no touchdowns. The Boo Birds are out at MetLife Stadium, averaging 225 yards and 12 points per game this season. Not to I'm not praying on anybody's downfall here, but this is what I said when Aaron Rodgers first got hurt is of course, you're going to rally around your guy. Of course, you're going to build him up, but eventually he has to go play the games. And if the results don't match up, this stuff is going to wear thin Robert Sala jets head coach giving embattled quotes about it to the media on Monday quote. He's our unquestioned quarterback quarterback Salah said as long as he continues to show the way in his preparation the way he's been practicing and even in these games he's not the reason why we lost yesterday it's always a team effort as long as he continues to show improvement and I know it's not from a box score standpoint it's not showing but as long as he's showing that improvement he's going to be our quarterback I don't envy Robert Sala because I'm not sure what else he's supposed to say. Like you can't throw Zach Wilson under the bus because then you kill whatever shred of confidence that you hope he has. But you're also basically getting up there and, and lying to everybody. And in my opinion, I've never coached an NFL team, but when Zach Wilson plays the way he did in this game, and I know the offensive line is part of that. I know the Jets offensive line is a disaster. I still think you can expect more than 12 points per game. We see teams cope with offensive line injuries all over the league every single week. When you say that, when you say that he's not the reason that you lose and you know that the defense is loaded with dogs and pro bowlers and all these great players, I just worry that eventually the patience wears thin within your own locker room. The patience is already wearing thin outside of the locker room. That's for damn sure. I mean, the, the jets lost Broadway, Joe, forget about me or you or any other onlooker, the greatest quarterback in jets history, hall of famer, Joe Namath Sunday afternoon, watching the jets lose to the Patriots. First, Joe Namath is tweeting about it. He's saying, I'm starting to wonder if Zach's playing like he's being coached. He's making choices that are not intuitive to the quarterback position. Won the only Super Bowl in Jets history, so I'm going to take him at his word there. Hour and a half or so later, he follows that up by saying, if the team doesn't start playing better, you've got to start looking at the coaches and general manager. So now forget Zach Wilson. Joe Namath is putting Robert Sala and general manager Joe Douglas on notice. 
And if that wasn't enough, of course, because it's New York, there's there's 10 million news outlets in the city. Joe Namath gets on the radio in New York on Monday morning, Monday afternoon, and says, send him, meaning Zach Wilson, to Kansas City to back up somebody again like Mahomes. Maybe he'd learn something. I wouldn't keep him. I've seen enough of Zach Wilson. I believe he also called the performance disgusting. It's getting real messy in New York, y'all. I, and like I said, I hate to I hate to say I told you so, but at some point the results have to back up what you're saying or it all starts to fall apart. And the Jets are about to play a nationally televised Sunday night game against the reigning champion Kansas City Chiefs, the poor poor NFL. They thought that they were getting so many great Aaron Rodgers games. They've been trying so hard to get Patrick Mahomes against Aaron Rodgers. I believe this will be the third time that their two teams have played each other since Mahomes became the starter. At no point have Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers faced off. Won't be the case this weekend. It'll be Zach Wilson once again. And if this one doesn't somehow go better, I think it's going to it's going to be it's going to stop being uncomfortable and be outright contentious. If the jets aren't already starting to think about a backup plan, you know what? No, there is no, if they need to be thinking about a backup plan, if you don't want to implement it this week, that's fine. But by the time the jets are done playing the chiefs, I just don't think I believe there will be any other option, but to pursue some other Avenue, a quarterback. New York might be the biggest media market, but there's plenty of other outrage to go around after a wacky week three. None other than my former hometown of Dallas. In case you forgot, the Cowboys, the most embarrassing loss of the week, they fall 28-16 to the Arizona Cardinals out in Phoenix. Now, it's easy to poke fun at the Cowboys, and, and that's what happens when they lose, but there's more to the story here, both from a Cowboys perspective and from the perspective of an Arizona team that has been surprisingly good through the first three weeks of the season. I wanted some more information about it. So I sat down earlier with the NFL on Fox's own Daryl Moost Johnston, who had the call of the game. We broke it down on both sides. Check it out. All right, Daryl. Thank you for the time. I think in a, in a game like this, where, where the Cowboys are a 12 and a half one, my favorite and they lose it's easy to focus on what went wrong and who's to blame and all that stuff and, and we can touch on it but I don't want it to get lost that this was also a really impressive performance by the Arizona Cardinals uh, and I would love as somebody who was on the call in this game what did you see from the Arizona run game specifically that allowed them to take advantage of the Cowboys defense yeah, I think that that was the big thing. And, and we knew going into the game that that James Conner, if he had a big day, it was going to be necessary for Arizona to, to stay competitive throughout the game, be able to control that flow, take some pressure off the pass game, try to slow Micah Parsons down in that rush. And they exceeded my expectations. They were right around 180 yards at halftime. And the thing with James Conner is not just the production he's having, but when he's continuing to push that pile, you know, getting those extra four, five, six, seven yards uh, at the end of the run, that that offense really starts to feed off that. And the improvement from, from Joshua Dobbs from week one, which was 17 days after signing with Arizona until week two was impressive. And then I think he took another big leap. And, and to have that huge run on that opening series kind of set the tempo for the rest of the game. So, uh, yeah, I think you make a great point. You know, Dallas had a rough afternoon, but let's not take anything away from Arizona. This is a group that 
nobody had very high expectations for coming into the season. And they played really well and took down the team that a lot of people feel was playing the best football in the NFL. That's where I wanted to go next is, I mean, it, it's it's been easy for people to kind of take shots at the Cardinals, whether it's Jonathan Gannon, whether it's the roster, whether it's that the starting quarterback showed up on the roster right before the season started. But even in the games that they've lost, like this team has played some some pretty good football and obviously they get rewarded with the win. What's your impression from from getting to spend a little bit of time around Gannon and some of these guys about about their mindset and, and how they view themselves as opposed to maybe what the outside perception is? Yeah, this is an absolute rebuild in in Arizona. I mean, it's it's been a long time since they've been competitive, um, you know, on a consistent basis. So, you know, you're taking this thing all the way down to the studs and then building it back up with all the philosophies and beliefs that you and your staff have. So um, you're going to have some bumps in the road when you're doing it that much. And you've got a first-time head coach, first-time deep coordinator, first-time offensive coordinator. So you're adding other things into the mix. And that was one of the things that he talked about. He's like, listen, I don't care about experience. Can you do the job? So for Nick Rollis and, and Drew, Pre- Drew Petzing, uh, that, I was impressed with them, uh, you know, especially Drew Petzing. You know, he was very – he was very open with us, very transparent in our meetings and said, hey, there's a lot that I've been learning this year as a play caller. He goes, just take, for instance, last week against the Giants. You know, I, I don't get Hollywood Brown involved in the game in the second half. I mean, who does that with one of your most dynamic guys? So they give you the information and kind of the hints of, wh- of where they're getting better with what their responsibilities are. But everything is done with a winning attitude. That That's his that's his kind of main line that he talks to his players about. And I can tell you, I was a part of a, a huge turnaround in 1989 with the Dallas Cowboys, and it was broken down to the foundation and rebuilt. Uh, it, it's it's hard to learn how to win a football game when you've got a bunch of new people coming together. We were only one in 15 that season, and kind of touched on that a little bit with the guys, you know, during our interviews. And and it's that that consensus where everybody, you know, is is full on with that interpretation that yeah, we got guys coming from all over, different backgrounds, different systems coming together for the first time, it's going to take a while to learn how to win a game. And I think that's why you saw those struggles late in the games in the fourth quarter in weeks one and two. So wanted to make sure to give the Cardinals their flowers, well-deserved. But as you just alluded to, being a Cowboys legend yourself, this is going to be a bit of an alarm bell game for a team that was playing as well as anybody heading into week three. When you look at the way the Cowboys struggled, I think that the two things that we're going to remember from this are the defense and the red zone offense. Is there is one of those two more concerning to you than the other coming out of this game? Red zone offense, because it's continual. Um, not a lot of chances week one. Uh, I think two for six. Week two, one for five. Week three. Yep. Um, so there's an issue there. Now, red zone is is probably one of the more um, challenging pieces of the offensive game plan, Um, especially when you're talking about a new system, some new players there. There's a lot of things you can add into the mix for Dallas that happened to them on Sunday. I think if you talk to anybody in that locker room, they'd say they're all excuses, though. Um, They had one of their coaches collapse on the field on Sunday, last Sunday. Now, a lot of people don't know this, but two years ago, in November of 2020, Marcus Paul was the assistant strength coach for the Dallas Cowboys. And Marcus collapsed in his office. And unfortunately, Marcus was a teammate of mine. We were co-captains together at Syracuse. And we lost Marcus that day. Um, when this happened last Sunday during the game, you talk to some of the guys inside. There was a big flash back to that moment. And so you start the week like emotional 
number one, you know, the repeating that scenario and thank God it had a much better ending this time, but you're kind of starting out on a bumpy week. You start to get your bearings straight. All of a sudden, boom, Thursday afternoon, there goes Trayvon Diggs down with an ACL. So now you're late in the week, adjusting your defensive game plan, trying to figure that out. Get news Friday night, Tyler Biotish tweaked his hamstring. Don't know if he's going to be ready to go. You find out Sunday morning, not just Tyler, but Zach Martin and then Tyron Smith, he's going to be active, but he's not going to he's not going to start. He's probably not going to play. So three years starting five offensive linemen are out. Now, what are these in in football people's terms? Potential excuses. You know, you, you've got to go out. I mean, it's a, it's a game where injuries are a part of it. It's a game that's very emotional. But you've got to be able to put all that aside and continue to go out there and work because you can say Arizona had two starters and their D line down. They haven't had Buda Baker all season, who's the heart and soul of that defense. So. Does that matchup on the offensive side kind of balance out a little bit? So I'm going to hold Dallas accountable. You know, they 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 didn't play well. That's all it is. You went out and you had a bad game. You had a bad performance. There's a lot of reasons why, but you got to own that performance that you had on on Sunday. So you're talking about a team that came back and scored 31 points in the second half, and you beat them 40 to nothing two weeks prior. So there's a lot of things that go on. It's just it's one of those days we had in our championship seasons. We were eight and one and got beat by the 2-7 and seven L.A. Rams at Texas Stadium, sometimes you just go out and you don't play well. And that's what Dallas did on Sunday. They went out and they didn't play well. There's some reasons why, but in the football world, those are just excuses. It's a great point. And that's that's such a, uh, that's a fascinating tidbit about, about the health emergency that the Cowboys experienced last week. And I, I remember the tragedy with Marcus very well. It's a good reminder that even, even with all the stuff we know about injuries on the offensive line and things like that, there's bound to be things affecting a team that maybe the general public isn't thinking about. I am curious with what you just mentioned about, again, even great teams are going to weather these types of things. In your experience playing for a lot of great teams, what do you think is harder? Is, is maintaining a high level of play and not suffering those types of dips, trying to avoid these types of setback losses, or bouncing back from them after the fact? Bouncing back from them after the fact is 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 the easy part if you've got the right team. Um, a good team always bounces back. It's a response-driven league, whether that's from Sunday to Sunday or from quarter to quarter or drive to drive. You know, how are you going to respond? You know, that's, you know, the game of football is, is very response-driven. So that, that's the biggest thing. I, I think more than anything, it's more handling success. You know, we've always talked about, you know, when adversity raises its head, what do you do? I mean, we're all wired as as athletes in competitive environments that when adversity raises its head, you know, you always you always fight through that and you, and you come through the other side. I think it's more challenging to handle success. You know, that 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 one is a little bit trickier to navigate for a lot of people uh, individually. You know, personalities on a team in a competitive environment all kind of think the same way about adversity. I think you got different perspectives on success. So maybe there was too much talk about Dallas through the first two weeks. Maybe they're not mature enough right now to handle or wear that that moniker of, hey, you know what? To heck with Kansas City and Philadelphia and San Francisco. This is the best team in the NFL right now. And how do you handle all that going on with all the things that we just discussed that went through the course of the week last week as they're getting ready to, to play Arizona? I'll get you out of here on this one. I think you are so uniquely positioned to answer it. And we just talked about this. Maybe it's going to sound like an excuse, but as somebody who played for this franchise, do you buy into the idea 
that the Cowboys are in a unique position with regard to the spotlight. You know, maybe when people are talking about them as this great team, maybe it's bigger than it is in other cities. Is there anything to that in your experience? The Dallas Cowboys are one of the most polarizing sports franchises in the world, not, not just here in our country. So you either love them or you hate them. You don't ask anybody, hey, what do you think of the Dallas Cowboys? They're all, they're all right. You know, they're a good team. Right. Either I love them or I hate them. So that's the biggest thing when you talk about this franchise. So do you get everybody's best shot? I, I've never believed in that. I think when you're on top, you know, do people play harder? I, I would hope not. I always felt I took the field and played at a certain level, regardless of opponent, regardless of the season prior. Uh, there's a standard that you hold yourself to. There's a standard that the organization holds itself to, and you want to meet that standard every week. So I, I would hope that when we're starting to talk about if this is the biggest sports franchise in the world and everybody's going to want to knock you off the top of that ladder, do you get everybody's best shot every week? Okay, maybe there's a little bit to that uh, that, that I just don't want to give credit to. Um, I'm just a little bit old school, and and I know that Jimmy Johnson was really, really good and just having us mentally prepared to play games, knowing the challenge, knowing how hard that grind was week to week to be able to be consistent with your performance. And it really never had anything to do in his messaging about, hey, you wear the star on your helmet and everybody's coming for you. Hey, you're the defending Super Bowl champions and everybody's coming for you. He always kind of went about it a different way, but got that same point across to us. Uh, and I thought it was more effective that way. A big, big win for the Arizona Cardinals. A humbling loss for the Cowboys. Cannot wait to see how each team responds to it. Daryl Moose Johnson, appreciate the time so much. Thank you. You got it. My pleasure. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's Tuesday. All the week three games are played. So happy to be done with the Monday night doubleheaders. This will make this segment all the more easier because it is time for power rankings. And after a week like we saw in week three, yeah, go ahead and guess. They look a good bit different. Lots of movement in the middle, actually a fair amount of movement at the top after some upsets and one very impressive win. But let's start. I like to start where the chaos is, where things seem the bleakest because I'm sick like that. Let's go down at number 31, falling three spots. It is the Denver Broncos. And maybe I, I can hear what you're saying. Shouldn't the Broncos be dead last in the NFL after allowing 70 points and 700 plus yards? Yes. That would be totally justifiable, but that speaks to how bleak things are in Chicago that the Bears hold on to the last place spot. Tough week for both organizations, at least. Doesn't sound like the Broncos are firing anybody after that loss, whereas the Bears have already seen their defensive coordinator resign. Sean Payton, after the worst butt kicking of his career, the worst butt kicking of most people's careers, he says, this is one of those weeks where you're going to take a butt whooping like that and you're going to find out a lot about everyone. The fun thing about this is that the Broncos get to play the Chicago Bears. So by the end of week four, we're going to know exactly who the worst team in the NFL is. If that doesn't sound exciting to you, we're just not the same. I cannot wait 
to just wallow in the mud of Denver and Chicago. One of those teams gets a win and the other falls to zero and four and will undoubtedly be the most hopeless franchise in the NFL for the time being. I feel like a psychopath, but I'm legitimately giddy about that game. Let's take it on up Two teams with much, much nicer looking prospects than they had at the start of the season. We will start in the 24 spot, jumping up six places, the Arizona Cardinals who's tanking who, who said this team was tanking. Yeah, I did. And a whole bunch of people and the Arizona Cardinals rubbing it in mine and a lot of other people's faces. They put it on the Cowboys. I said it already. I'll say it again. This wasn't some cute little upset where they ran trick plays to, to trick the Cowboys and slay Goliath. No, they took it to them. They ran for 222 yards. When the Cowboys tried to climb back into them, into the game, they hit big gains. They, they were ready. They had a great game plan and they executed the hell out of it. Jonathan Gannon, amazing job. We talked about it with Moose Johnston earlier in the show. I don't know where they're going, but they look so, so, so much better than I gave them credit for all the jokes about Caleb Williams, at least for the next couple of weeks. I think we shelve those because there are other teams that are far more deserving of that type of ridicule. Nice little start to the season for the Arizona Cardinals. A lot of the same stuff can be said for the Houston Texans who jump up eight spots to 23. I think there was a lot more reason for optimism with the Texans because, you know, New head coach, D'Amico Ryans. He was the hot hire of the year. Number two overall pick, C.J. Stroud. You throw in Will Anderson. You know, Arizona's got the the weirdness of Kyler Murray recovering from his ACL. Nothing like that going on in Houston. Just a lot of young talent. My only question was how quickly they would get it going, and the answer is very quickly. Taking it to the Jacksonville Jaguars, a team that I picked to finish atop the AFC because of a weak division. Well, how weak is the division really if CJ Stroud's playing like that? He's at 900 yards through three games. He's averaging 300 yards per outing. Houston's offensive line completely decimated. I think only, only one week one starter on that offensive line played against Jacksonville, and it did not matter. 20 of 30 for 280. He looks like a franchise guy. It's early. Anthony Richardson didn't even play. Bryce Young didn't even play. I'm not trying to award anybody the pick of the year or the steal of the draft or anything, but CJ Stroud belongs here. That is very obvious. D'Amico Ryans is good at his job. Who would have guessed the Texans flustering the Jags into a very forgettable day? The vibes are good here, y'all. The vibes are good. And for the same reason that I felt good about the Jags, you can apply that same logic to the Texans. That division is down. If this is how they're going to play, there's every reason to think they could make some serious noise. I like their odds in all of their next four or five games. Yeah, I, I'm not trying to put them in the top 10 yet, but man, I feel good about the Houston Texans, which I don't think I expected myself to say a whole lot of times this season. All right, let's jump it up the board a little bit. I like to put teams together when I know that they're going to play. It's a little cheat code of mine. So why not do it again here at number 10, the green Bay Packers jumping up a hefty five spots after that loss in Atlanta. And it looked like they were going to lose another one. Honestly, 80% of this game was very forgettable but it carries a lot of weight when you can overcome a three score deficit in less than one quarter, which is what the Packers did. It all played together. 
You needed special teams. You needed defense. You needed offense. Jordan Love looking like a savvy veteran. Matt LaFleur doing cool nerd stuff, going for two-point conversions when he didn't have to because he knew it would give him a better chance to win, and it did. The defense beating up on the New Orleans offensive line. This was my pick to win the NFC North, and this is why. I think there's enough around Jordan Love to make him look good like this. You get the running game going. Romeo Dobbs looking like a guy beyond his years. Jaden Reed looking like a rookie steal. And for and remember, the Green Bay offensive line has been banged up for two weeks now. If you can even hope to get some of those guys healthy, you can maybe reach an even higher ceiling. I feel great about the Packers as a fringe top 10 team. And now we get to find out because Thursday night football, they go against the number nine overall team. And that's the Detroit lions, Detroit bouncing back from that overtime loss to Seattle with a dominant win against Atlanta sitting just inside the top 10. They shut down Bijan Robinson. They shut down the Atlanta offense, hold them to two field goals. Defense gets seven sacks. I think it was, it was, it was some big number. Flustered Desmond Ritter all day. Didn't let the Falcons get anything going. Not, not a memorable game, but that's what makes it impressive is that it was supposed to be the game of the week and the Lions just took it to him from beginning to end. So last time, last time we saw these two, it was the Lions kicking the Packers out of the playoffs. Nothing that juicy is up for grabs, but a division rivalry at Lambeau Field and a measuring stick game. Like these are the two teams that look the most likely to win the NFC North. Where do things stand? The lions, I think have a good bit more experience, particularly at quarterback, obviously guy that's been to a super bowl going against a guy making his fifth career start. But I don't know. I just, I really like the vibes in green Bay. I can't wait to see who comes out of that with the early bragging rights and the early bead on maybe grabbing that NFC North title. So jump it all the way up to number one. You know who it is. How could it be anybody but the Miami Dolphins? Apologies to the 49ers. Apologies to the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs. You're all great, but none of you scored 70 points. None of you rolled up 726 yards of offense or had two different running backs score four touchdowns. I can't even keep track of it all. It's a performance we might not ever see again, considering the last time this happened, Lyndon B. Johnson was president. So yeah, if you do something like that, you get to jump up to number one. It's not a knock against the Niners or anybody else. It's just a game unlike anything we've ever seen. And I know that Denver's all the way down at 31, but some things just defy competition. If you can do that in the NFL, it says a lot about where you're at. That's why the Dolphins are on top of the power rankings. That's why Tua Tungavailoa is the MVP frontrunner. I cannot wait to see how they follow it up. You realize the Dolphins could score 38 points next week and it would look lame by comparison once you have a video game day like that. Although the Dolphins travel up to Buffalo to face the Bills next week. So if they put up 38, I have a feeling they'll be staying right there on top of the power rankings, but we'll see how it goes. That does it for our show. We will be back Thursday. I already teed it up. We got Lions Packers in the very near future. We got so much to get to. We'll catch you all next time. I appreciate it. Go find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, wherever you listen to podcasts. 
I tell your friends, just start start a conversation with somebody. Say, hey, you know, there's this really great podcast with this guy that talks too much, but but I really think you'll like it if you like the NFL. Yeah, do that. I'm done. Thank you so much. We'll catch you all next time.